gonna be off the hook. PRN Alumni Foundation presents the 2018 Benefit Concert featuring the legendary Maceo Parker. Did you hear what I said? Live performance by legendary Maceo Parker with special guest Candy Dolfer at the award-winning Aria Event Center, 105 North First Street, downtown Minneapolis. All the hits and more. We're gonna really crank it up. It all kicks off Thursday, October 11th. Live performance by legendary Maceo Parker. Tickets available at prnalumni.org. prnalumni.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Muse to the Pharaoh, a Prince podcast from a female perspective. I am your host, Darling Lucy. As you know, here in the Purple family, it has been a pretty exciting last couple of weeks where we have had the dispersal or the comeuppance of his catalog from 95 to 2010 appear on a lot of the streaming services. Of course, a lot of this was on title already, but and also historically, it's been popping up and down when he was here with us on different streaming services, but now it looks like it's going to stick around for a while. It's been really interesting to see people discovering his music for the first time, just seeing things on Twitter where people are like, wow, 3121, I've never heard anything like this before. And it's really been super exciting. Um, We actually have had an episode at least discussing 2000s and forward. I think it was one of the first or second episodes that we did here on Muse to the Pharaoh. So today I wanted to actually talk about 1990 to 1999 so that we can kind of dig into the catalog and some special moments that happened then. So joining me today from the Tumblr crew, I have two people, Erica. Hi. And then also Crystal. Hi, everyone. So um, I, I, I always try to prepare my guests so that they're ready for an answer. So we're going to dig into some of my questions for you guys. So first question, what is your favorite era from 1990 to 1999? And I'll give you two choices that you can have. You can have a main one and also a runner up. So let's start with Erica. Um, my favorite, which I am very vocal about <laughs> as far as the nineties would be diamonds and pearls. Um, and my backup is, would be love symbol, but I kind of lump those two in together, even though they're different, they're, uh, they have similar qualities in terms of, of the music and of course aesthetics. Uh, he had the NPG backing him. So the sound, um, is cohesive and, um, the other thing they have in common is one of my very favorite things is that he had a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of ideas and he funneled all of that into making videos uh-huh. and those are some of my favorite things that exist um, if I'm ever in a bad mood I'm like you know I'm just if I just put on gangster glam I bet I'd feel a lot better and then turns out I do <laughs> Okay, and then I know um, we were talking about Laura T. Burt's video, or her, her article that just came out, and she had interviewed someone that was in that video as well, and she really did say, I got a phone call one day, and <laughs> it was Prince, and he just said to come over, 
and we were hanging <laughs> he said, out. We're goofing off. Yeah, yeah. He said, we're goofing off with a video camera at Paisley Park, which is like reading that was so exciting to me because you know you watch those and I'm like that had to have been what was going on because they weren't they were released obviously as a um, as a collection but I don't think he had that intent they weren't singles they weren't you know there wasn't really like, Warner Brothers wasn't really interested in putting those you know publicizing those mm. <laughs> so okay well how about you Crystal so yeah, anyone who knows me know that I am a huge uh, Graffiti Bridge era apologist. <laughs> so that's really, for aesthetics, um, 1990 is probably going to be my favorite era. Um, and then the backup is probably going to be, I'm not going to label it as really love symbol, but I'm going to label it as like the sacrifice of Victor 1993 Typhoon part two era <laughs> um, he had going on. <laughs> so that would be my runner up, but mainly 1990, just because I don't know. I think it's mainly aesthetics because when I talk about graffiti bridge, the album, it's not my favorite, but I do love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, 1990 would definitely has always been my favorite era. Um, and then the new tour, I love the stripped down production of the new tour, but he also, you know, because it's stripped down, it's a lot more focused on him, mainly because he's running back and forth um, and there's like no pause unless he's sitting at the piano. Um, but yeah, I kind of just like the production of the new tour and then I like the, the presentation pretty much of 1990. Even, you know, Graffiti Bridge is not a good movie, but when you don't take it too seriously, <laughs> And I kind of just enjoy, you know, what he tried to put together. Um, it, it really is something that I'll always enjoy. So 1990 is my favorite era, always will be. Um, and then runner up, especially of, um, of late, will definitely be like that, that Sacrifice of Victor 1993 era um, that he had going on. So, yeah. So it's actually interesting because I think both of you, I know we're just doing 1990 to 1999, but I think those two eras for you guys are your favorite eras overall too, isn't it? Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I find myself listening to daddy pop like all the time, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me or my musical taste, but <laughs> So, it a lot. <laughs> so for me, it's really, it's, I find that really hard to, you know, pinpoint. I don't think 1990 is my favorite era musically. Hmm. Um, and then you also this have is to shocking to me, by the way. Crystal. It is too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I, I, so what's difficult for me is that I listen to his live music more than I listen to studio material. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and even when we're just talking about studio material, Graffiti Bridge is not my favorite Prince album. It never was. It was mainly the aesthetics. And that's kind of why um, it's my favorite era. But if we're talking musically, um, I honestly don't know what my favorite era is just because I can be in an 80s mood and then I can be in a late 90s mood and then I can be in a late 2 You know, I just find that I like Prince music, so it's really hard for me to just pinpoint, um, you know, when my favorite album is, if we're, when we're just talking about the music. Okay. So I was really going to just 
interview you guys, but I yes, I can put my two cents. <laughs> yes, in. please. <laughs> Y'all didn't let me live it down in the last episode, or I didn't answer any of the questions. Trying to protect my space, but anyway. Um, and if if you're listening to this um, out of order, last episode was talking about Prince and how he delights women, and I like to hold my favorite princes closest so people don't research him. But anyway. Um, so from 1990 to 2000, it's interesting because there's an album called The Vault and it comes out a bit later in the 90s, but it's a collection of songs that kind of fall in 91, 92 time. And a lot of it's very jazzy and, um, that's kind of my aesthetic outside of Prince even to hear that kind of smooth jazz R&B sound. And so there's songs like She Spoke to Me and everything like that. And so there's like this era that happens... I guess it kind of counts as Diamonds and Pearls slash Symbol since those songs were kind of made actually even before that from 1990 to 92, 93 time. So for me, I know that kind of crosses a bunch of different ones, but for the era where um, when it comes to aesthetic, but especially music, that's kind of my favorite time in the 90s of what he was working on and where his head was at. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, runner up Gotta go with jam because <laughs> you're such a jam apologist. <laughs> I love it. It's so like energetic and doing the most, and it's not smooth at all. Like the early '90s, that's something that's interesting from the '80s. It's it like from the beginning, it's kind of all over the place, and then he starts to get a little more um, fine-tuned mid '80s to about '88. And then it starts to get a little weird again, especially around nude time. It's just kind of all over the place again. And then right after that, he's he's smooth again. It's like very, it's not, um, I don't want to say reserved, but it's just cool. He's like a cool dude that's different than like a new tour versus an act one tour. Which I think is really interesting, that shift that happens there. But um, then it, and, and you go into the um, the gold time and it's a little more jerky again. Not jerky as in. I mean, as far as movement. Mm-hmm. And then Jam, it's almost like a return from the, to the 80s, like Purple Rain Time, except for you get way more cursing. And it's just kind of like, what's happening? But I dig it going on. He, yeah, he does that little restless leg syndrome dance <laughs> shimmy thing on the stage a lot. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's a really quick foot motion and I'm like he does it it's like his go-to like I don't know what to do here I'm gonna do this and it's like a little jarring yeah uh, it's like room. drunk uncle <laughs> no. so at the family function it's about 8 p.m. and people are starting to leave but you know you still got the group of people who you know are the loudest and they're gonna be there to about midnight yeah or like in the be- basement listening to red fox version of Prince right type yeah thing. there you go and it's the last time we have him be that vulgar, so he just pulls out all the stops. But anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you so, consider, as far as the album with that, do you consider that to be Emancipation? Uh, or yeah. is that more New Power Soul for the you? The combination. If you are going to align an album with it. Yeah, I, I, I would combine it with those two. I mean, he starts to clean it up a little bit into the New Power Soul t- tour, especially when Larry Grant comes around more. But some of the songs are still the same, and you still have some crazy songs on New Power Soul, where it's just like, dude, really? Okay. Because Mad Sex and stuff is still on there, so. Anyway, now that we're talking about music. I that made the cut. <laughs> let's talk about the second question. So, favorite album, 1999, I'm sorry, 1990 to 1999 with a runner-up, 
And let's start with Crystal. Um, okay. So I'm going to say my favorite album between that time is going to be Come. Um, and that's just because I kind of like the feelings that I get when I listen to it. I feel like his intent was was to put you through a lot of emotions and feelings. And, you know, it was going to there was highs and then it, he brought you back down. And then, you know, so I just kind of like the cohesiveness and just the, the, the way the album is put together. And then Runner Up is probably going to be Graffiti Bridge. Um, yeah. So come on. such an favorite. underrated album. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Graffiti, Graffiti Bridge is an underrated album to me. I feel like it's his most soundtrack sounding album of the three that he, he put out. Or four, is it three count sign of the times? Yeah, I guess. Um It's a little it, musical it, theater to me. Yeah, it's like, it, it in a way that I don't mind. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it has but like, some really good some really good songs on there and again when you take um the songs like joy and repetition and question of you and you think about those live performances um you know you have to i, I mean at least for me i reflect back to the album when i listen to those long, those live songs and, and it's just impossible for me not to like it so um so yeah come being my favorite and then graffiti bridge would be a runner-up one of his most underrated albums by the way <laughs> Interesting. Okay. How about you? Erica? Yeah, I, I, I just want to um, talk about Come for a second because I think it's, like I said, I think it's underrated. And I think kind of everybody who's familiar with this whole catalog of work will say that Come is a very underrated album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like you said, it's really emotional and it's different than a lot of what, a lot, pretty much anything else that he did, I feel. I don't know. Do you, do you agree? you disagree? <laughs> I think so. Um, anyway, so my, my favorite albums are actually, um, I love The Gold Experience. Yep. Almost every song on that is like, is one of my, one of my favorites and I can go back to time and time again. Um, obviously, my runner-up is Diamonds and Pearls, which I listen to all the time. Basically, anytime Michael Bland is drumming, <laughs> that's my preferred sound. So, I so the Gold Experience is like that track list is just insane. Like I Hate You and Billy Jack Bitch, I love um, P Control. I used to drive around the Ohio State University campus when I was like 20 years old, blasting that with the windows down. <laughs> Which my friend, um, I sent my friend the anthology playlist because she was like, I want to listen to some later prints. Where can I start? And I was like, oh, well, this playlist has just come out. It's a good rundown. Maybe you can find something, you know, a different era that speaks to you and kind of go from there. And that's the first song on it. And she was like, this is that song that you used to drive around listening to. And I was like, yes, it is. Thank you. (laughs) I want to mention just about I Hate You Too um, is that, you know, I, I used to... Well, I still love the song, but, you know, I used to love it to a point where I listened to it every day. It was just like on every playlist. And but once I learned the background to that song, it's like so comical now that I rarely not that it's bad, but it's just like I can't listen to it without thinking about how ridiculous the backstory is to that song. So, but yeah. Can you share what the backstory is for those who may not know? 
Also, you know, supposedly, you know, when he, uh, Carmen Electra was in his, um, I guess when they were dating, I think she went back home and visited a friend and had lunch and Prince found out about it. And when she got back, he had this song uh, recorded and he pretty much played it for her in the studio. And so every time I, I listen to I Hate You, I think about that and I can't stop laughing. Because and then he put her on a plane back to Ohio. <laughs> How dramatic. Never to be seen again. <laughs> And there's like a version of it that's longer. It has sound effects and he's like If I sound a little bitter, it's cause my baby, you dance for a dollar. I know he didn't make you holler. And if he did, it wasn't like the time we did it to Mala. Don't you remember? You were my little nasty lady. Holler and he just goes on and on and on. And it's on. like dude, dude. <laughs> He was petty his whole life, but in the 90s, he was particularly petty. And that is a prime example. Um, that music video, too, is so literal. It's Maite is the girl in the video. And she goes out to lunch with another man. <laughs> then yeah. he brings her into the courtroom to be judged by a jury of his peers, which is his band and his guitars in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> And then he brings up Maite and he uh, uh, sings at her about, (laughs) I hate you because I love you. So so that video getting released in high quality was like, I watched it probably 14 times in a row. And I was like, this is so ridiculous. It's so petty. It's so perfect. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I, I couldn't have wished for anything more than Prince in a courtroom yelling at a woman <laughs> and doing stuff with his guitar that never mind so oh right <laughs> yeah that moment okay uh i'm gonna have to i agree with the ones that you guys said and i'm all about prince doing really cinematic um types of albums given that some of my top ones is the rainbow children so i love what is generally known as a symbol album because of the entire kind of uh, storyline that goes with it and there's a version of the album that has more segs in it that kind of fills in the story a little bit more mm-hmm. and I was actually reading the comic book that went along with it too that fills in the story even more but basically the symbol album because there are a lot of good songs on it and then you had the accompanying three chains of gold and you had the Ride of Vine special that was on TV I think it was like a two night special that was on ABC like 92 or so where the first part was like a mini version of Three Chains, and then the second part was like a live show hosted by Troy Bayer of the It was on acts. TV? Yeah, yeah. Like TGIF TV? Well, I don't, I mean, ABC was different back then, but yeah, they used to have like these live, not live, but music things. But yeah, it was mm-hmm. on TV. But yeah, that is uh, of the 90s, one of my favorites. And the other one, and no one ever agrees, but I really love Chaos and Disorder. And I know that it was kind of like a throwaway project or whatever, but I don't think it gets enough shine because, you know, it may not have been the most innovative sound and it sounded pretty on trend for new music at the time, but I I really like a lot of those songs. Um, It kind of reminds me, I I appreciate later that he brought some of those songs back into the repertoire. Uh, And yeah, I just, I, I appreciate that album a lot. And of course I love experience and all those other ones but I just wanted to shout out those two as 
ones that people should definitely check out. Yeah. Um, okay. So the third question, favorite moment, 1990, 1999, doesn't have to be a concert. Could be interview or TV appearance. Uh, Erica. I have many. How many may I pick? <laughs> you may pick three. Okay. Um, let's see. So there is a bootleg of a performance for, what was it, the BBC something? Uh, BBC something or other <laughs> in, I think, 92 or 93. And he does a really short set, and it's uh, Prince and the NPG, and they do um, dance, music, sex, romance. They do America. He does Beautiful Night. Um, there's a couple other songs in there, but that set, it's I think it's like a half hour long at the most, maybe 20 minutes. It is phenomenal. It is, the sound is like, it's just out of this world. It's so funky. And there's an interview with Tommy Barbarella where he's like, I don't remember the specifics. <laughs> he's like, I just remember showing up. It was early in the morning playing like the craziest, funkiest set we've ever played and for like 20 minutes and then just like flying back home. Like, he's like, I don't remember any of the details other than it was the, one of the best shows they've ever done. So I am obsessed with that. It com That's one of the things, like, when it comes on, I'm like, well, I, like, on my shuffle, I'm like, well, I can't switch it. <laughs> I, have to, I have to, like, let it finish. I have to listen to the whole thing. Um, so that is one of them. Let's see. Um, obviously, Arsenio Hall, the 1991 appearance, where he's promoting Diamonds and Pearls. So he does diamonds and pearls he does he opens with let's go crazy i want to say does he do cream i don't think anybody else has watched it as much as me so i should just ask myself that question <laughs> <laughs> but and then he ends with um with daddy pop yeah and he does a little purple rain in there too you know you have to so that performance is super good and it's like that it's all over youtube forever so you can just pull it up and <laughs> and watch it at any time which don't mind if I do and then my last one is I believe you'll be surprised by this but the rave unto the year 2000 show <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> look this the antics are absurd and over the top but like that's kind of what I love that's the thing that I really appreciate about Prince. But as far as like the show, the sound is like, it's incredible. And the performances are incredible. Um, yeah, I saw it in Amoeba the other day on DVD and I don't think I even have a way to play DVDs, but I was like, I should buy that. <laughs> like, for what reason? It's absurd. Morris Day swings in to the stage like Tarzan style on a rope and pretends to, I don't know, falls off it or something. There's a point where... Um, Prince wants to show off his new piano so he crowd surfs over to it which is like in the middle he's on the stage and then he, they're in like the sound stage area so he's on the main stage he crowd surfs over to his piano which is on a separate stage in the middle plays like three notes of nothing compares to you and then crowd surfs back to the main stage <laughs> <laughs> during Raspberry Beret there's like a slide on stage and he confidently like squats down and then slides down it, which he then has edited in slow motion 
to the very bottom. Like he doesn't get up until he hits the very bottom of that slide. It's phenomenal. (laughs) And then that's also where he goes, I'm going to do the split. Hit me 14. He goes, how many should I do? One, two, give me 14. And then does like five. (laughs) (laughs) And just gets up. And then another thing that's my favorite is where he goes back. He plays drums. I forget what he does, but he does a little drum solo thing. And he just, I, I like when he plays drums because I like, it's like, it's like seeing a dog walk on his hind legs. Like it, it's like, it doesn't look natural, but it sounds good. (laughs) but it's like there's something it's not like he's not as confident at all as when he plays you know guitar or piano he's he didn't do it often so it's always yeah he can do it but he's not like he hasn't necessarily mastered it so um there's just so many highlights of that show and uh especially that amount of glitter that he wears 1999 (laughs) Yeah, his little, like, the way, the the outfit that he wears for Baby Nose is this, like, silver bell-bottom flared sleeve glittery, is it spandex? I don't know, but he's got, like, a matching headscarf with it that he wears how all, when I was in high school in 1999, that's how all the girls would wear their little, like, bandanas and little checkered gingham things, and he's got a sequin one that he's wearing (laughs) Just like all those girls in my high school. So (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that show. I've watched it multiple times. Like, I didn't think that I would like it because I generally don't like watching shows from that era. But it's such a surprise. (laughs) So how about you, Crystal? So the first moment I'm going to mention would be the Glam Slam shows from 1994. Um, they are a delight to listen to, but also even a better treat to watch, especially all of the, uh, the outfits and the hats that kind of got debuted <laughs> during those um, shows. And of course, you know, <laughs> I just want to mention, remember when we first watched those shows and how like irritated at how much Maite was just there. Now, when I watch those shows, I like live for the pussy popping. Like, <laughs> She is a staple. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, the Glam Slam shows of nice, and then also just 1994 in general, just because of the underground vibe that it had. I really love that about um, that that year. Um, and then I was gonna say Irresistible Bitch during Act One and Act Two um, tour because he was just angry every night. Usually by the later. The later shows, at the beginning, he wasn't he wasn't cursing as much, but somebody made him mad, and he had to get it out. And hell if I know why I let her drive my car. Don't I know that walking won't get me that far? Don't I know that crying over a dumb ass is just a thing? All the things I lose don't add up to half the shit I gain. Raise your hand. Yeah, I live for anytime he performs Irresistible Bitch on that tour. And then um, the blue outfit from Rave, but I was going to mention when he wore it during the VMAs because how bold can you be to wear that suit skin tight with no drawers on and a visible, visible just print for on television? 
And then his Kim Berry braids, was that the first time he went in public with his Kim Berry braids and, and, and ribbons? Like, mm. should have been the last time. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry for my slander, but good God. <laughs> but I love that outfit. I do love the outfit. I kind of love those outfits in general. Um, so yeah, the, that outfit during the PMA's Irresistible Bitch during Act 1, Act 2, and then Glam Slam 94. I was watching those Glam Slam concerts the other day, and I really feel like we need to reiterate that one time. At the end of one of them, where he literally spent 10 minutes modeling hats. Like, he walked out with the first one, and he would walk up to the microphone and just sing for like a little bit, spin around, show off his hat, walk behind the curtain. Comes out with another hat, hat number two. And it was like three or four hats that he modeled. He wasn't singing anything. It was just, check out my hat. Right. And then the concert ends. And it's just like. I think you're engaging the audience's response, depending on how long he's going to wear it. Right. And then like the third night, I think, everybody started out the whole show with different hats on. And it's just like, what is the deal with the hats? I mean, they're nice hats, but okay. Um, I haven't seen that. I can't believe I haven't seen that. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna send it. So, <sighs> oh my god! One thing that I really appreciate about Prince um, that he's a little more obvious about in the '90s is the throwbacks to the old kind of R&B sound. Um, so during Act One, Act Two, he does a mashup of the Continental and Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Drells. And I remember first time I heard that and I was like, hey, my mom used to play this all the time when it was, you know, one of those put on music because we're about to clean the house type things. And so it was kind of cool and a reminder also because that song is from like 1968 or something. So he was like mixing in his childhood songs in with his own songs and it sounded so natural the way they flowed together. It's just like, yes, I know that song and thank you for that. we just started a new dance called the Titan Up. And he also, of course, did that a lot during the gold era, playing sly songs and like old school songs like that all the time. So just all of that bringing forward traditional R&B so that people could know about it and be like, this is real music. It's kind of cool. Especially in the time where he was experimenting with different sounds himself. So the award shows. So he was on a ton of award shows in the 90s. He was on NAACP awards. He was on, um, like, Soul Train awards. Like, especially in the early 90s. I remember when he walks out in the green outfit and... Like Rosie Gaines, I'm trying to remember the other two that were uh, giving him his uh, tribute. But he got some kind of lifetime icon award, like in '92, <laughs> from the Soul Train Awards. That's the one where he walks up and he goes, Shh. "Yeah, yeah." And that was really cool because I mean, because there's this um, kind of thought or narrative that he kind of disappeared or people didn't follow him as much in the '90s, and he was on a lot of black shows in the '90s between that and. The Vibe Show with Sinbad. He's on Tavis Smiley on BT a couple of times. So, I mean, for me, I always saw him everywhere. And uh, a lot of the um, music video debuts. So, I think The One was debuted on BT. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. The Most Beautiful 
Girl. Not, I think that one might have been. And um, Bet You by Golly Wow. I remember seeing that for the first time on BT. So around, very present. And um, I love the one, I think 98 or so, the Tabitha Smiley interview. Does anybody get away with calling you Prince these days? Or do, you, like, do they get slapped if they call you Prince or something? Oh, no, no, no. I, um, you know what I find in, in airports and um, outside of the venues and things like that? Um, people of color will always call me Prince. Mm -hmm. And what I also find is people of color always smile. And they always say they love me, you know. Uh, uh, on the other side, the lighter persuasion, we have uh, people just kind of stare and they'll say Prince and then they'll correct themselves. No, the artist, or the, you know, and they'll get confused. Right. And it, it, it's interesting looking through my eyes at this particular phenomenon. Right. <laughs> you know? Why, why do you think that is? <clears throat> the, the, the people of color treat you one way and that lighter persuasion, to use your phrase, treat you another way with regard to what to call you when they see you? I, I think we tend to. Um, live through our own more so and uh, we champion when one of us makes good mm -hmm. and um, uh, we never forget like I'm I I'm so thankful I always have my people at my shows mm -hmm. and they remember all the way back oh do uh, they absolutely when I was doing the purple rain tour I had a lot of people who I knew I'd never see again at the concerts, just screaming in uh, places they thought they were supposed to scream. You know, so that mountain type, mountaintop type uh, situation is not really all it's cracked up to be. Some interesting commentary going on there that uh, it's kind of cool. So, um... Just really quick, mm -hmm. if we want to um, talk about award shows, we want to talk about his 94, was it the American Music Awards? Yeah. With the... Oh, oh yes, with yes, the definitely. <laughs> and he was dancing <laughs> with... He had three girlfriends there, and they were, like, two of them were dancing with him, and then one of them had to present an award to him. <laughs> yeah. And it's just... Wait. It was Is Nona that Gay. the Billy Jack bitch one? Yeah. Nona Gay introduced them, and it was, I think, Carmen okay. and Maite danced with them. Yep. Carmen danced in that? Yes. She was oh my God, a second dancer. Oh, this is new, brand new information. Mm, it's just like the old days. And he was mad because he chewed uh, no, gum the whole time. I didn't realize. He chewed gum the whole yes. time because they made him... Um, do the recording. They made thing. him lip sync. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was so mad. But that was, so that was like the, was it the purple medley? Didn't he edit that himself? He put that together. Mm -hmm. That. Because it was like. The Prince is Dead thing. There was a whole bunch of stuff around that time because there was like yeah. the VH1 special uh, where they took over the airwaves. And there was like a bunch of music videos and Maite's music video was in there and some other people's. And then they had um, the Love for One Another special where there was like, I'm a friend and not a fan. And it had Vanessa Marcel. Was it Vanessa or am I getting that name wrong? Anyway, but she's like the main character <laughs> and she's like, I'm the love of your life and all this other stuff. And it was filmed in Paisley Park. And it Is had that when she... Is that when she tapes the dictionary definition of the word friend? Yeah. Or friend or fanatic to one of the doors in Paisley Park? Yeah, and it was like rock and roll is alive, and they're all wearing these big burr jackets, and it was a time. Oh, yeah. Again. I'm just going to go on record. That's probably my least favorite <laughs> song. <laughs> 
I just am all about the casual slander of, of Prince. But you know, they can't you know, we like what we like. So, um, random question. Because we are kind of wanting to point people to some songs that they may have overlooked. So, what are some songs that you guys like that fall in this era that you think should get more shine? Um, I'm kind of on the spot. Like, I my iTunes is worthless. If I go because it shows you your like most played songs, if I look to that, it'll just tell, show me Daddy Pop. Nobody wants to listen to that. For me. <laughs> Like I'm aware. I'm like I'm I'm pulling up Spotify just so I can. I have a couple in mind for me. So, Rave is not my favorite album, and Mm -hmm. I always say I I don't like Rave. But you know, when you say you don't like a Prince album, that means that you only like five songs instead of all of them. (laughs) So on that album, I really love the Sun, the Moon, and Stars, and I think that it gets overlooked a lot. He actually does it live at. I want to say the Nokia show in 09 or so. But that song is really good. You guys should check it out. And then also, um, we always talk about Acknowledge Me on this podcast, so I'm not going to talk about that too much. And then, um, again... What a weird niche thing to always discuss. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Acknowledge Me, everybody. Everybody's no more in the raps. And then, um, um, interesting version of A Thousand X's and O's that's actually Nona Gay singing it. And it's probably blasphemy, but I kind of like her version more than Prince's later, sorry. Uh, but yeah, because you know, again, I'm kind of on the jazzy R&B sound, and that very much aligns with my aesthetic. You work so hard, you really do. I don't think that anyone could ever work as hard as you. Hot desert sun, Um, off of the Rave album, the song I listen to the most is Pretty Man, which he, I guess, originally wrote for Morris Day, but it makes me laugh so hard. I, obviously, this is defining personality trait is like anything that's ridiculous, sign me up. But it starts off with, Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. And I'm like, I can't resist it. <laughs> A song written for Morris Day in 1999. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> so for me, from Rave, I would say um, Baby Knows. I really love that song. And then... Uh, I love um, Baby Knows. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and then from Come, uh, Let It Go is probably my favorite song mm-hmm. on the album, After Come. Uh, and then Graffiti Bridge. Um, I don't know if this counts, but... Melody Cool. I really love Melody Cool. Hmm. Um, but it's made of stable, uh, staples. So, and Thieves in the Temple. Uh, extended Thieves in the Temple is my jam. Not just because the video is it's the a masterpiece I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> But I have I have the single like on like on vinyl and I listen I put it on like regularly. It's so good. Like the drums in it and it gets so funky. Like after the five minute mark, that's the thing about Prince that makes me so angry <laughs> is that after like the five minute mark, which is like the radio play section of the song then they get like insanely funky and there's like weird noises and like crazy beats and stuff and i'm like that's what that's where they really start to 
get me. Yes. So, and it's that really good. makes me mad about these in the temple where I'm like, that's the best part of it. The best part. Especially it's- when he's shouting. You did me wrong <laughs> and airing all of his grievances. Oh, so good. Mm, oh, one, two, actually, more that I wanted to mention um, Strays of the World, which I believe shows up on Crystal Ball. And one of the amazing moments that happened during Celebration last year, besides them playing Rainbow Children stuff, is that they did Welcome to the Dawn. And it was that instead of, you know, the Purple Rain or the Nothing Compared mm-hmm. to Me. And it was really I love yeah, yeah. uplifting. It reminded me of, like, church kind of testimony music. But I really like that they chose that one because it was very positive and just a different kind of mood that was more encouraging. I love that because how many times can you really hear Purple Rain and cry, especially, like, in celebration, which they do such a, a good job of um, kind of reminding you why you're there. Yeah. Um, it was nice to like hear something else. And especially since that was clearly um, a recurring theme from him. He, start, he starts mentioning the dawn, like in the 80s even, mm-hmm. and talking about the dawn. But it's funny to me because, like, he, once the name changes, he's like, welcome to the dawn. And I'm like, well, I feel like that comes for you a little bit later down the line. That was quite a bit tumultuous period. But all right, let's go with it. Uh, and to kill the mood, what about Pum Pum? <laughs> also a banger. Shout out to Samantha McCarroll, who that is her favorite song. But um, it's a fun song. It is. I think yeah. I got you like a notebook with that you on did. it. Like, you got me that for my birthday. My poom poom notebook. Yeah, it's just all it says is poom poom. Um, yeah, just over and over again. I love that song keep, though. We've got to mention Emancipation as well. Yeah. Yeah. That sprawling three disc set. Of randomness but a lot of it is good uh, i was listening, i've been visiting it lately because i feel like we did we did as a group an album listen through and i after that it kind of like it made sense to me why people like fell off in the 90s because it was like it's an overwhelming amount of content and by the time you get to emancipation we were doing an album a day and by the time you get to Emancipation, you've already done like nine two-disc sets in a row. And then you get to Emancipation and it's like three in a row. You're like, oh my God. So I don't think I fully listen. I think I was just listening to like do it, not to actually listen and enjoy it. So I've been listening to enjoy it. And it's such an interesting time capsule of exactly what he was thinking and doing at this time in his life. I kind of struggle with that, the third disc more than the other two, because uh, it's just kind of like what's the one human body? It's just like oh, okay, we can we can wrap this up. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do like for the most part because again R and B is kind of my thing, so it didn't bother me as much. 
But there's a lot going on there. It probably could have been two discs. But I appreciate the audacity to try. Right. There's something to to be said for being edited and pared down by not necessarily a record label, but somebody to kind of cross-check it with and be like, you know, maybe Mr. Happy isn't your best work. Hey, I love Mr. Happy. That's okay. So we we always hear the debate of um you know the 80s work being better because there was that kind of maybe not kind of aspect to it but then I always like the sprawling projects like Emancipation probably isn't my favorite one but the Rainbow Children I love or hearing different versions of Crystal Ball from the 80s I like that kind of really ambitious type of project or even if um come uh the gold experience and chaos and disorder would have come out as like a three disc set or whatever. Um, especially hearing all the different segs that didn't make it onto those albums. I really love that. Or even the longer love symbol album where you have like the complete stories and you hear more of what he was going for as far as the storyline for the symbol album. It's like, I love that stuff because he, he talks later about how albums matter and it's not all about, you know, the songs or whatever. And I would prefer to hear the song or the project um, from the perspective of the artist versus, um, you know, what would sell. Right. And, and I guess we saw that, you know, some of those didn't sell as well because it was harder to digest. But I don't know. I kind of I kind of like that. While you may be making money because you control your whole environment now, um, you're keeping you're keeping more of what you make. But that does not necessarily mean that you're selling more records than you used to sell. Isn't it not true, artists, that you're not selling the records at the level you used to sell them? Absolutely true. But then again, we're not in as many stores. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Some stores are player-hating. And And people player-hate. That's right, rightfully so. You know, I expected this. Uh, But then again, I don't gauge success based upon the way other people gauge success. This isn't about SoundScan and C-SPAN and all that. You know, this is about... uh, um, our plan, you know, this is about what we believe now. And the, the, if you ask any artist, the music is a success upon creation. Mm-hmm. Um, when you give it to somebody like a Rolling Stone or a Vibe and they start um, critiquing it, then y- your perception changes. But that's looking through somebody else's eyes. So again, we, um, we gauge success based upon what we feel in our hearts, you know. Uh, we've shut our minds off now. Minds should be used for what they were made for, filing cabinets. Okay. We think with our hearts. Okay. That's the thing that I, I hear a critique of Diamonds and Pearls all the time, like, well, he just, he made it so it would sell albums. And I was like, yeah, and? That was the point, and it did. And it's very, like, well, he only wrote Cream because he needed a hit. Like, and, it, and it was, and it's good. <laughs> What's the problem? Like... I don't know. I I can't get with that critique of it. (laughs) I don't think every song, I don't think the album needs both Push and Jughead. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he got to do a little of what the record company wanted and a little bit of what he wanted. So. Uh Yeah. So, um, last question. What's something that you want people to know about Prince in the 90s that you think others don't know? Or, so I said differently, something that 
you you resonate with in the 90s that um, you feel deserves more attention? I'll start with Crystal. Um, okay, so I feel like um, for me, well, I, I resonate most with the music and not how he put the music out. I feel like that was a big focus um, post Warner Brothers is that everyone was pretty much, they, they, they formed a, a, an opinion based on what was going on. And they faulted him for essentially, to me, growth and also choosing to um, take some control in his life and also just having a little bit of structure. Um, when I, you know, when you read older articles from, and you know, older posts from fans um, from years ago and even from the 90s when he was, um, when he left his recording contract with Warner Brothers, um, it was it was never about the content of the music. It was always about what was going on, and he was deemed to be an artist and decline, which is something I just I I don't I just I never I never got because he never stopped being Prince. Which to me, Prince was someone who enjoyed making music. His first love was music, and he never had a synonymous sound. I feel like Prince was never someone you could put in a category. And I feel like that didn't change after Warner Brothers. You know, he continued to make music and, and um, you know, experiment with different sounds. And his, he just grew. He just he got older and he his, his music grew. But when you listen to his live music, he was still, you know, Punky, he was still putting together really great bands and really good renditions of his music. So it's, I think that's something I resonate. It's just with the music itself. And I never understood, you know, at least, you know, when I just read, you know, articles and people's, people's opinions about his post Warner Brothers um, time, it's just, it's always about how the music was put out and not the content. It's, it's, um, itself and to me Prince never stopped being Prince after Warner Brothers you know he got even better so right I feel I just want to add on to that I feel a lot of people who talk about money is like well he got weird or whatever and it's like he was always a weird dude at any point he was a weird dude and that's what draws me to him is so he's not he's very unapologetic Mm -hmm. And this is how I am. This is how I want things to be. And this is how it will be. And he, you know, was able to build a life around that, like around that weirdness and that, you know, all his eccentricities or whatever, um, that I just, I don't, I don't necessarily get it when people are like, well, he got weird. It's like, he was always weird. Come on. (laughs) He yeah. just wasn't the same, and he never was to me. So I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't relate. Let me just say that I can't. I don't understand that because Prince never was someone who, whose music, like most of his albums in the '80s, don't even sound alike. So how would you know? How how did people? I don't know. I feel like they just kind of focused on the hoopla around what was going on instead of giving the music a fair chance. And if you, if, you know, people who went to his shows, I mean, I just, you know, we, we listened to Boots and when I listened to Boots, I couldn't imagine being in the 90s. You know what I mean? Being at one of those shows because they all sound good. Like, you know, some shows are better than others, but Prince was still putting together phenomenal sets 
and his band always was um, in tip-top shape. So, yeah, I, it's it's something I struggle with when I read about it online. You know, Prince wasn't Prince, so Prince stopped being Prince wasn't good anymore. Prince, like, that's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, mm-hmm. yeah. Did, did you have um, anything different, Erica? Oh, yes, I do. I think, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, or maybe they do and don't think about it, or maybe they haven't, like, pieced it together, but he, Prince, was a not-so-secret computer nerd mm-hmm. in a big way. Yeah. Um, there's... It, to me, it's evident in, like, I mean, well, Graffiti Bridge. There's that whole um, Anil Dash article where he's talking about Prince sitting. He has this beautiful woman. He's got Jill Jones half naked in his bed. And Prince, like, gets up and starts editing. Can't stop this feeling I got with, like, his NASA trackball. Like, not a cool thing. And Jill's, like, trying to coerce him back to bed. He's like, no, nah, I got to do this. Like, so he's just sitting in front of his computer, this giant computer. And then there's the beautiful experience where he stalks Nona Gay through what I guess is supposed to be AOL Instant Messenger, but it's like an Excel document or something. <laughs> and then like all of emancipation. If you listen to my computer... The lyrics are literally like sitting at home on a uh, Sunday night. Like I go to my computer looking to find someone to talk to. And if you, you know, he used to go into the, there used to be those AOL chat rooms and there was a Prince one and he used to like go into it and they knew it was him because he would use one of them was like my day's dog's name was a screen name and then he would talk about lyrics and stuff and then they'd show up like on albums that would come out you know in the like six months later it'd be like oh like nobody he wasn't outing himself as prince but in hindsight they're like we were we were just chatting like prince was in here (laughs) um and then i mean even think about in recent years he would sit on twitter and like make memes and stuff. So I feel like I feel like people don't talk about that enough or like recognize that enough, but like he was super computer nerd, which like I relate to, especially in the mid nineties. Like I spent a lot of time that's how we all met internet people, by the way. <laughs> um so that I just I really like that about him is that he was he was a he was an internet person just like the rest of us. <laughs> And his, his older websites, you know, he, he had some innovative ideas. They might have not, you know, progressed the best, but, you know, they, she clearly had a vision. And he put their whole he, wedding program on one of them. <laughs> Good grief. I don't think he gets enough shine for that. I think, I don't know if people didn't realize he had all those websites. Because um, I remember when Prince Online Museum came online and I stayed up all night like clicking through every single one of them and losing my mind and also being like why did I not try to do this I've been making websites since I was 11 could have worked with Prince but um like he was selling music on there he had like you can get merch on there they had a lot of different forums Mm -hmm. the 1-800 new funk website is like one of my favorite things I would like (laughs) 
the crystal ball website. I think there was like some kind of competition and he picked the one that won and that was the official website that had lyrics and everything on it. And he had um, and one from Celebration about... where he like asked people for feedback, right? Yeah. He posted pictures like, I mean, probably somebody was tasked with it, but there's a lot that's like written as prints in a very right. princely tone. And, and a lot essays of that he would Jehovah's write about his questions. <laughs> yeah. And there's like an essay about the estates of black artists and how it should be controlled by their family. And he didn't take his own advice. But um, it's just like a lot of that you everyone says, well, Prince didn't believe in internet or he said the internet was dead. I'm like, Prince was the main one who literally was the vanguard of artists on the internet and he kept it up pretty much until the end. So there's that. Um, he was like on Twitter and Instagram in 2016, like messaging people, yeah. <laughs> like clearly, and like again making memes and then posting pictures of himself face down next to a box of Nestle's bunch of crunch. He was very yeah. up the internet, very just like the rest accessible. of us. Oh, are you saying Crystal? I I just said he was very like he, it was easy to access him, you know. Yeah. And that was, you know, the most surprising thing for me. It's just like, wow. Could have been anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I know. If only we would have tried. (laughs) So um, generally, yeah, I guess my thing would be it's interesting to kind of wonder sometimes, like, because you have the 80s and you're backed by this huge music conglomerate that has a lot of resources for promotion and movies and radio people and just like this huge machine that could promote him. And it's kind of interesting to watch the trajectory of his um, career where in the early days he was part of the black music department and then he got bigger as, you know, Harold Bloom came in and created this image around him. And it was something interesting that you said, Crystal, where it came became more about the hullabaloo around him than just the music. It was like they had to find a way to get people to pay attention to him so that they can even hear the music in the first place. And then, of course, the crux of that being Purple Rain, where now you have a movie and you have a top movie and a top album and a top tour in the same year, and it's this huge kind of production. And then he starts to kind of fall back a little bit from that to say, you know what, uh, that's cool, but... I'm also a musician and you cut, you get around the world in a day yeah. and then parade mm-hmm. and all the other stuff. And so now, like, I think I, I have to remember what article it was, but around Diamonds and Pearls time, somebody asked him, so like, when's going to be the next Purple Rain? And he's like very annoyed about that. He's like, I'm done that. I'm moving on from that. And he like got up from the table and sat in another table or something because he's really annoyed. <laughs> So it's interesting to kind of watch through the 90s as he doesn't have that machine behind him anymore or the machine's like, no, you're doing too much because there's that one part of, um, what's that movie? Love Jones. Uh, Look, don't make me start bringing more CDs up here, okay? Because I'll start bringing you Prince CDs. And you know how that brother likes to pump out four or five hours a week. I mean, I'll be up here every day. (laughs) But um, it's interesting to where... Now, all of a sudden, he doesn't have the machine behind him. He's not, he hasn't created, or somebody's not creating a, an image around him to sell people to, so that they pay attention to the music more than the hullabaloo. And so now it's harder to get the music because he's not on the radio. It's harder to get the albums because now it's put out through random companies. And 
you have the issue with the most beautiful girl in the world now with the plagiarism thing, even though it's not really similar, but that's a thing. And it's, it's just kind of messy <laughs> through the nineties mm-hmm. and later. So it, yeah. it makes you wonder like if he stayed with some company that continued to promote him as a package rather than him trying to promote himself more through his music, I wonder if it would have been, would have had the same kind connot- not connotation, but the same understanding from the fans that he fell off. Is it like, did he really fall off or is it just that he wasn't sold to you in a way that was accessible? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I think it's a little bit of both to be honest, because I, you know, you guys know, I love the nineties. I'm no stranger to all of the Prince content of the nineties and I love it all. But I do think that, um, he kind of, he, around graffiti bridge, he started firing people that told him no, or <laughs> suggested that maybe, you know, like he, what's the thing, the guy, somebody showed up to the set of Graffiti Bridge and Prince, they're like, uh, how's this going? And Prince was like, you need to leave. And he's like, the set? And he's like, the state of Minnesota. <laughs> so, like he couldn't, he just kind of, he kind of did that to himself in a way I feel where he stopped taking feedback from anyone else and he had a lot of yes men around him yes men and women and it it kind of became um you you kind of do need somebody to to edit you or to bounce ideas off of or to say you know maybe maybe graffiti bridge isn't your best work maybe we we just scrap this and try something else, you know? But I think that it was kind of a cocktail of, of all of the things that, that Kenisa mentioned and, and Crystal mentioned, and then, you know, nobody to, to tell him no. And then having the money and the power to release whatever he wanted, however he wanted, was, it, it just created this perfect storm for, you know, what, what did go down, I guess. I mean, I guess I just, um, it, it's, it, it makes you want, not wonder, it's what standard is he being held to? Because, I mean, like, as an artist, I don't tend to compare Prince to Prince, even. It's like, I love Dirty Minds, one of my favorite albums. I love 1999. Um, Purple Rain is a good album for, you know, what he was intending to do. I mean, I can't say that it's bad. Of course, it's an amazing album. It's very easy to digest. It's got some bops on it and everything like that. But I don't expect everything to sound like, you know, stuff that he did in the 80s, even when it comes to, because a lot of people were saying what he was doing in the 80s was very innovative and it was very forward thinking. He's combining a lot of different sounds and nothing had been out there like that before. But then also it's like, he did what he wanted in the 80s and he did what he wanted in the 90s. And I don't, not everything is going to be like this great hit type thing, but I appreciate whatever he does. Not to say everything he does is awesome because again, Emancipation could have been too dissed and I don't like a lot of Diamonds and Pearls. So, um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't prefer. I like to say I don't prefer versus it isn't good because not everything was made to my taste and I just, you know, prefer things more than others. But, I, I I always struggle with the um, no one told him no type things when it comes to his music because I'm like, why should anyone tell him no? He should she should make whatever he wanted and he can put out whatever he wanted and you can pick up the things you like 
or you can say this one isn't for me i'll get the next one and that's perfectly fine for you know him to do whatever and for people to pick things up as they prefer it i guess mm -hmm. i'm trying to think uh i'm trying to think if there's a, a 90s album that i really don't prefer besides because the ones that i don't prefer fall before and after then <laughs> You know what we haven't talked about in any of the 90s podcasts is Days of Wild. I like when he performed it in, what, 2013? Oh, I love it. I love the cleanup version. <laughs> yeah. But I like, yeah, I like that he brought that back. Um, I kind of prefer it to, Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the aesthetics of 94 with that song. It's really weird. It's like that song and then just, I guess, the production or when he performed it, I'm, I'm not a big fan of. But like the cleanup version is kind of like funky in 2013. There's something weird about the 94 period in general, the 94, 95, like ultimate live tour. Uh -huh. um, Are you talking about know. the, like the performances? Yeah, like it's because he doesn't move because he doesn't dance anymore because he's got Maite up there. He it's weird for me to see him because we all know Prince. We have all seen Purple Rain. We all saw Sign of the Times. He's in, you know, he's a dancer. And then in 1994, even on like, you know, act one and two, he's dancing and moving around and like crazy. And then all of a sudden it's a switch, right? You know, in like 93 or 94 that gold era he just stops moving completely he's just he just plays guitar and i think he has the guitar and for like most of the shows there's not a time that to me is the the standout i thought about it for a while i was like why are they so weird to watch and i'm like because he's not moving the way you would expect prince to move that hmm. and the body suits but um <laughs> Yeah, and and then Maite, Maite in her hot pants. I I said on Twitter the other day, like God bless Maite in her hot pants. But um, but the music's good to me, and I read some um, reviews of the Ultimate Live Experience, and a lot of people were saying that like he was playing to arenas that were half full and things like that, and it was interesting because the Gold Experience hadn't come out yet. And he was doing a lot of songs from that album. So it's kind of like, I I miss, I, I mean, like I always say, I, I prefer when he was promoting the music that was on the albums he was touring. So like Dirty Mind, he was touring Dirty Mind and, you know, Controversy was touring Controversy. But as you go into the past the 90s, he starts to do the hits tours. Mm -hmm. But during the 90s, he was, he was, his tour supported the music that was out or that he was working on at the time. Um, and even like as late as the jam concerts, he was still doing stuff from Emancipation and same from New Power Soul, he was doing a couple of songs from New Power Soul, but it started to shift more into hits tours. And I think that actually does a lot to kind of create a, a legacy kind of act where you have all these brand new albums out, but you're not playing songs from that album. And so people don't really know about it. Even though you got musicology when you went to the musicology tour, like 98% of the songs during that concert tour were legacy songs and not new ones. And that kind of kept going on till the end of his career, more or less. So 
it, it's interesting that, you know, people say Prince fell off or he wasn't as good later. And it, to me, besides, you know, the nostalgia part of it of the 80s or that he his sounds really were kind of more forward-leaning in the 80s, it's also that, again, his music wasn't as accessible or you had to do a little work to kind of get to it, to hear it. Because I think even still, they're, the only way to get Hit and Run Phase 2, maybe Amazon, it's streaming on Tidal, but it's not anywhere else. And there are still people who haven't listened to that album yet. And it's been out for, what, three years now? Yeah. Right, or like the only way to get Planet Earth was like in the newspaper. Yeah. In the UK. Right. Or whatever. Like, he, yeah. Innovative, but a little bit like, Shooting yourself the price in the foot. that was paid, yeah. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like, well, I commend you for this, but also other people do. Like, isn't 2010 really hard to track down? Yeah, like, I think a, it came out the same way. Uh, on a CD or, like, yeah, there's only not exactly accessible. Yeah, I was talking to somebody on Facebook, shout out to Scott Woods, that we were talking about 2010, and he said 2010 was a return to form for him for 80s prints and I was like hmm that is an interesting one I would agree I don't agree with that but I understand it it's because he was using the um Lindrums a lot back on that one Mm -hmm. he came he he came back to it circle back okay so um (laughs) we just wanted to talk a little bit more about the 90s especially with the new stuff coming out for people to hear would encourage everybody to kind of revisit this time because I know as we were going through it in context, it was a lot (laughs) with every album coming out every other week. And um, I I find that a lot of people, as they're going back with all of this stuff being released, they're realizing like, actually, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was. This is actually pretty good. And I know I was like that about Rave. At first I was like, uh, Rave sucks. But then listening to it like 20 times on the 18th time, I was like, oh, I actually kind of like a lot of this. So, um, would encourage people to revisit. So, um, any final thoughts from you guys? Um, I feel, well, I mean, to be honest, if you don't know where to start, that playlist, that the, the legacy playlist or anthology playlist that they release on like Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. As far as, like, that's a lot of songs that I would put for people like, and that's what I've been sending to people who are like, well, I, I want to know what Prince did in the 90s or what's the new stuff. Like, that's a pretty good, comprehensive list. And then from there, you can you can see, you know, what, what sounds you like and kind of try out, listen to different albums uh, based on what you like from that playlist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so um, where can they find you guys on the internet, starting with? Erica? Um, I primarily am on, I guess, Instagram, Erica Strata, and then same on Twitter. And your Tumblr? Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Good grief. Um, The dash beautiful dash one, but it's the number one. And that is that is where you can find my my Prince ramblings on Tumblr. Okay. And then Crystal? So yeah, I'm mostly on Twitter and my Twitter is going to be Crystal Latrice. Um, and then my 
Prince Tumblr is going to be graffiti-bridge.tumblr.com. And then I recently did make a Prince um, Instagram page if anyone is interested in following me there. And that name is going to be Neo Manifesto. So just like the, the 90s book, uh, photo book that came out. Um, so yeah. And I am Darling Nisi. I am that on Twitter as well as Tumblr. And we are a subset of Podcast Juice uh, by Michael Dean. And appreciate you guys hanging out this day. Bye. So there it is for all to see. Now what's beyond you and me? Depends, my friends, primarily on how you view your own eternity. If she could be muse to the pharaoh. One thing I did want to mention before we close out here today, I actually have the opportunity to contribute to the PRN Alumni Foundation fundraising weekend, which is October 11th through the 13th. I will actually be hosting the Her Story panel with ladies who have worked with Prince to help support his career. The ladies who will be on the panel are Gail Chapman, one of Prince's first keyboard players, Ingrid Chavez, star of Graffiti Bridge and Spirit Child of Love Sexy, Karen Lee, who handled Paisley Park Media Relations in the 90s, Rhonda Smith, bassist, she doesn't need much more introduction there, and Ruth Arzati, Prince's personal assistant, manager, publicist, and more from 2003 to 2010. This will be one of three panels that will be held during the Alumni Shares event on October 13th at the Capri Theater in Minneapolis. The other two panels will be the fashion panel hosted by Troy Gua of Les Petites Prince fame and also a sound recording panel hosted by Dwayne Tudal. It'll be a great afternoon full of stories about Prince from the people who worked with him. For more information, go to prnalumni.org. Okay, bye.